0: We're going to look at Scripture in a little different way today. Now, that sounds kind of dangerous, doesn't it? Let me explain that a little bit. Uh, there's a new video that's been produced for the Gospel of Mark, and it's word for word through the NIV. And uh, it's it's been available on digital download. It'll come out in the in the stores tomorrow or Wednesday or something. But anyway, so the passage we're looking at today is Mark chapter two, verses one through twelve. And we're going to watch it and see how how this helps us understand this passage of Scripture. Now, it's very important that you understand that wasn't filmed live. (laughs) Okay. So, you know... But it's fun, isn't it, to be able to see it? Because we each have we each have in our minds, and, and this isn't an account that we haven't read a time or two or that we haven't heard about. The truth is, this is a story that, from Scripture that gets told to our kids a lot. I, I remember, I can't even remember the first time I heard this, but it always fascinated me to stop and think that people would actually tear the roof of a house open. And so to have a visual of what that looks like I think it helps us, because this is such a powerful story, such a powerful moment in the life of Christ, and, it, and it, it finds such an important meaning when we stop to think about the forgiveness that is given to this man who is paralyzed, and that's what we're focusing on today, is Forgiveness. And it's interesting, as I was preparing the message for today, I went to Google, which is what you need to do when you prepare a message, and I Googled in, how does guilt impact people physically? And it's a fascinating search. Do you know that, that all sorts of studies have shown and proven that, that guilt and shame and condemnation and those types of feelings actually impact people physically. They bring physical symptoms into people's lives. And they did experiments where where they, they recorded people and, and they started talking to them about things that they felt condemned about and, and things that they felt guilty about. Wouldn't it have been fun to be part of that experiment? Okay, and, and so they started talking to people and people talked about how they felt a heaviness come on their lives and on their bodies just as they even began to think about those things. You'll remember on Easter Sunday, we talked about how Satan loves to tempt us. He loves to bring things into our lives and tempt us with things. And then the minute that we jump into those things, he turns around and begins to speak condemnation over us. And words of condemnation, words of shame, words of guilt. And the truth is probably each one of us have things in our lives and things in our hearts that when we think about those things, they immediately cause us to feel weighed down. Forgiveness is available. Jesus came to bring forgiveness into the world. And this account that we're looking at today is going to make that so clear. My prayer through this week has been that if any of you are here and you've never experienced the truth of knowing that the things that you've done in your life that, that are opposed to God, if you've been carrying that weight, my prayer is that you'll understand after the message today that you can be forgiven and that that weight could be taken off of you. And my prayer further is that for those of us who do know that, that we'd start to live in a new way, grasping the forgiveness of God and an understanding of Jesus. So we're looking at this passage in, in Mark chapter 2, and it's forgiveness. And it, the key verse here is, is Jesus saying, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. And so that's where we get the big idea for today. And the big idea is that Jesus wants you to know that he brings forgiveness. Jesus wants you to know that he brings forgiveness. And I see that through this account. And and we start, the first point we see here is that paralysis produces movement paralysis produces movement. And it's like, well, how does that happen? How, how, if I'm paralyzed, can I begin to move? And I think our story makes that very clear. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, and the people heard that he had come home, they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room uh, left, not even outside the door. He preached the word to them. I love this. This is Jesus coming into Capernaum, and Capernaum at this point in time, a population probably like seven, eight hundred, maybe as many as fifteen hundred, but fifteen hundred at the most is what they what they they've determined, and so it's a small town, but it's interesting that that Scripture tells us that when he came into Capernaum, he came home. Apparently, as Jesus did his ministry through Galilee in three years that he was doing ministry, Capernaum was his home, and people recognized that and and specifically peter 's house so it 's very possible that what we 're talking about here is that he came home to peter 's house and and as he came home, a large crowd gathered, maybe all fifteen hundred came. You know, and so he comes home and 1,500 people come over. Boy, can you imagine that? You know, Scott, all of a sudden you come home and 1,500 of your closest friends come by. And they're all packed in and packed outside. And you're like, oh, this is great. So what would you do if you had that many people over? Jesus started preaching. It's like, hey, if you're here, you're a captive audience, right? Right? I mean, of course he's going to preach. That's what I'd do if people came over to my house. My kids tell me I preach all the time. So I don't know. But, you know, as you think about it, why did he come? See, that's what's interesting. Now, remember, I'm, I'm, I'm urging us to read the Gospel of Mark one time each week in a different translation. Watch it on a video, listen to it, try to do something to gain the whole story of, of what, what Mark is telling us. Because in these couple of verses, we see so many things from the first chapter that help us understand what's happening. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, you'll remember he went off to pray because he was in Capernaum the first time and he had done all the healing. And then the disciples went and hunted him down and said, You got to come back, okay? And he said, No, I've got to go to another place and preach the word. That's why I've come. See, the reason Jesus came was to preach the word, to preach the gospel, to bring the truth that, that forgiveness was coming into the world. That's why he came. And so when he came back to Capernaum, a huge crowd gathered. Do you remember why? Because when he healed the man who was leprous, he said to that man, he said, now don't go tell anybody, but go see the priest. And instead... The man went and told everybody, and as a result, Jesus could no longer travel without huge crowds coming around him. As a matter of fact, Mark is going to talk about the crowds that pressed against Jesus throughout the whole gospel. Chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, and chapter 12. His whole ministry, he's going to be crowded with people all around him all the time. And he's going to use that as an opportunity to preach the good news, the word to them. Some men came along, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And since they couldn't get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the man, the mat that the man was lying on. Fascinating. To think about that. And I I love the video because it kind of showed in a a good idea because, you know, the truth is, Scott, if you had 1,500 people coming over and there were five more who came and said, well, we can't find a way in, we'll just dig a hole through Scott's roof. Scott would be like, oh, isn't this great, you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and and your dear wife would be like, you're fixing this when they leave. Um, But See, in the day and age, when we're talking about here, when, when Jesus was traveling around, what would happen is the houses were made, the, the ceilings were about six or seven feet, something like that, and there were the boards that went across, and then there was a thatch on top, and, and some there was some clay in there. Luke calls it tiles in his account. And so you look at all that, and it was something that required annual maintenance. So it was something that you were, you were needing to get up there and do that anyway. Now, that's still no excuse for digging through a roof, okay? But we understand that it was a little bit easier to fix when it was done. What I love about the video is it was really kind of cool, right? Because Jesus is all intent on on preaching, and all of a sudden, this stuff starts falling down, and the sun starts shining on him. You know, it's be like this over here, okay? it's like... Wow, you know, the sun starts shining on him. and Now, did that happen? I don't know. But could you imagine if all of a sudden stuff started falling down and, and I am just keep preaching and you're like, man, he's going to get hit or something, okay? And so it's important that we enter into this. That's what I'm trying to help us with. And all of a sudden this mat comes down in front of Jesus. And this man is lowered in. And all these people who had the best seats had to move. Because all of a sudden, the best seat was taken by the man who was dropped in. And he was brought right in front of Jesus. Because paralysis produces movement. Paralysis produces movement. You see, this paralyzed man, I believe, got to a point in his life where he said, I'm not going to worry about why this is happening in me anymore. I'm going to go to the person who can help me. I'm not going to fixate on why bad things are happening to me or, or why this is happening or what's going on in my life. I just need to get to the person who can help me. And he got four of his friends together, and those four friends came, got a hold of him, and took him to the place where he could get help. Paralysis produces movement. When we get to a place in our lives when we're able to say, I'm not going to let these things that are happening in my life, I'm not going to fixate on them, I'm not going to focus on them, I'm not going to wonder why they're happening to me, I'm going to go to the place where I can get help. And that becomes faith in action. See, Jesus notices it, and he sees it. And faith reveals itself in action. And when this mat drops down, and everyone in the crowd, because... You'll remember that this is Capernaum where he's done this before so they know what's going to happen. He's going to touch this man and heal him. They've seen it. They now know the routine. And so they're bringing people to him and they know what's going to happen. He's going to touch him and heal him. And so the man comes down and Jesus touches him and says, what? Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Wow think about that this is new remember last week we looked at the fact that Jesus changes everything here's something that's really changed this is new he didn't heal him he told him his sins were forgiven what's that about I wonder what he felt I wonder what the the man felt you see Jesus eliminates the things that prevents people from coming to him. He eliminates the things that prevent people from coming to him. And that's what we're going to see as this unfolds. You see, it's, it's the truth that all sin paralyzes us. All sin paralyzes us. And it, it's true that there's a connection between sin and sickness. There's a connection between sin and sickness. And it doesn't mean that all sin produces sickness, and it does not mean that all sickness is a direct result of sin. But it does mean that there's a connection between sin and sickness. Schweitzer puts it this way. It's not as if the sick man were unusually sinful, but his case makes the universal uh, separation of man from God more conspicuous, and illustrates the truth which is proclaimed over and over in the Old Testament, that all suffering is rooted in man's separation from God. All suffering is rooted in man's separation from God. Listen, in the garden, what happened when the fruit was taken? The wages of sin is death, and at that moment in time, there was a separation that was brought into all humankind from God. The wages of sin and death and death in Scripture speaks of separation. And so there's this separation between us and God. And that has allowed for sickness, for disease, for pain, for hurt, for trials, for all of those things. That has allowed for all of that to come into the world. And there's a connectedness between that. It doesn't mean that your sickness is caused because you sinned. It doesn't necessarily mean that, but it also doesn't mean that, that sin hasn't brought, brought sickness into the world. And so as Jesus looked at this man who was paralyzed, he could determine just from their faith, from this man's faith, he could determine because he's God, Jesus, that, that this is what he needed was forgiveness of sins. And so he stepped in and forgave his sins. So questions, how are we coming to Jesus and how are we working together to bring others to him and how are we asking for help? Listen, how are we, listen, there were four people who brought this man in. How are we looking into our world to see those people who don't know the healing touch of Jesus? And how are, how are we bringing them to him? How are we coming to know Christ so that we can go and make him known? How are, we, how are we doing that? Are we watching? Because every day you bump up against people who are paralyzed by their sin. And listen, if they don't know Jesus, it's a huge weight on them. And it's weighing them down and they can't even go for help themselves. They need you to bring him. How are we doing on that? Because listen, Jesus wants you to know that he brings forgiveness. The second thing we see is that misunderstanding brings skepticism. Misunderstanding brings skepticism. So Jesus, (laughs) he puts his hand on this man, he said, son, friend, Your sins are forgiven, and immediately we see that some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? That's powerful. See, Jesus is doing something new. I told you, he's changing things, and so he's stepping in, and he's just said that these are forgiven, and these scribes, because teachers of the law are scribes. Right? They're the religious lawyers. They're the, they're the ones who really watched over the law and took care of it, wrote it down. Ezra was a scribe, going all the way back to the Old Testament. So these are, these are significant people. A lot of times, listen, we have this because of scribes, okay? If it weren't for the faithful work of the scribes, we wouldn't have this, right, John? And so as you look at that, we, we need to be really careful that we don't like, come down on these guys. But listen, this is brand new. And Jesus, as he's just stepping into his ministry, all of a sudden he's revealing that he's the forgiver of sins. And that doesn't fit. There's nothing that they've read into the law that would make that fit. Now, the parallel passage to this is one of them is found in Luke. And if you don't understand what that means, the parallel passage, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, the four gospels, have, have the life of Christ, and there's overlap within those. And so sometimes, like the account of the, of the paralyzed man being healed, we'll find that in more than one of the Gospels. This particular one is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so there's parallel passages. Uh, they're, they're the same passage in a different Gospel. Now, what's great about that is that each one of these Gospels were written to a different audience. Matthew was written largely to a Jewish audience. Mark was written to a Roman audience, which is why it's so precise. And then Luke, remember, he wrote to Theopolis, is written to a Greek audience. And so we understand and know that each one of them emphasized different things. Sometimes people look at the differences and they say, well, look at there's contradictions in scripture. No. It's being written by a different person emphasizing different aspects of that account. This particular account, we read in Luke that these teachers of the law, some of them were Pharisees, and they were there from all around Galilee, from Judea, and from Jerusalem. So in that house, in Peter's house, as the roof is opened up, they're looking at this, and you remember that the scribes were talked about. This is the first time they're, they're, they're mentioned as being there, but in chapter one it says the people were amazed at Jesus' teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. So people started talking about Jesus' teaching having different authority than the scribes' teaching. So it seems to me that the scribes called a rally and sent a bunch of people to hear what's this guy teaching? What's going on? We've got to watch and we've got to know. And so there were all these scribes who were in the house waiting to hear what Jesus would teach. And when he taught that he could forgive, it was like, danger, Will Robinson. Okay? How many get that analogy? All right, okay. The rest of you, MeTV, TV, lost in space. Okay? But it's this immediate danger, okay, because there's this, something has been said that doesn't line up with all of the things that we've understood Scripture to say and God to say. There's a danger. See, the claim of forgiveness by Jesus is either incredibly outrageous or it's incredibly wonderful, one or the other. And for the scribes, they began thinking, this isn't, this isn't right, right? Only God can forgive sins. Only God. And we have to be really careful because we can can slip into this as well. We can misunderstand what Jesus is saying, what Jesus is doing, and in so doing, we can miss knowing Christ because instead we know what we believe Christ to be. Now, there's some absolute truths in Scripture that talk about who Christ is, born of a virgin, and, and fully man, fully God, and, and you know, that he, that he came to bring sins. And so there's all of these things that are absolutely and clearly taught in Scripture. But sometimes we can get our own imaginations. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I used to listen to the radio, and the DJs would be on there, and I'd imagine what the DJs looked like, and then you'd see a picture of them in the magazine, and it'd be like, no, that's not who it is. Right? Did that ever happen to you? Where you hear somebody's, I've heard customer service reps talk about that too. You know, that that people will be talking to a customer that they have on the phone all the time, you know, and they'll be doing that for 10 years, huh, Steve? And then all of a sudden you have a chance to meet the person and (laughs) you're like, no, you're not the person I was talking to. You're supposed to be like 20 years old, you know, and you're not. And, you know... How many of you, when you watched that video, said, no, that's not what Jesus looks like? Huh? He looks like the, the one in the picture out in the hallway there, doesn't he? See, he, he, looked, he, he, looked, he looked angry. An interesting thing happened last week. Last week, I started using NIV 2011. I've always used the original NIV because I have so many passages memorized in there. I'm used to it, everything else. So, but last week, we started really using electronic, and so I know a lot of you are, are doing your electronic um, Bibles and things like that, and so I moved into 2011 because that's available electronically, and so I'm, I'm there. I'm hip. I'm relevant. swagger with the beard. It's all good. So as you, as you look at this and you think about it, Unbeknownst to me, within the context of the of the passage that I preached last week, there's one space that's one of the most controversial places in Scripture as far as what word to put in a passage. Isn't that wonderful? And it's in it's in Mark chapter one verse forty one. And in Mark chapter one verse forty one, Jesus is approaching the uh, leper, and the leper is approaching Jesus. And the majority of translations say that Jesus was filled with com- compassion. NIV 2011 says Jesus was indignant. Those two things, Dan, are not quite the same. So I had people who came up to me, and they were, they were really shook by this. Does, does that mean I can't trust Scripture anymore? If, 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 if one translation says this and another says this, does that mean that how do I know that I can trust the Bible? And that's a big question, isn't it? How do we know that the Bible we read is true, especially when we come to a place like this? Well, what's so wonderful is we have so many people who have worked so hard on translations. Now, translation can be hard, I don't know as much about it as some of our friends from Wycliffe and things, Dave. I'm sure they could help me understand this a lot more. But I remember many years ago when I was in the Czech Republic and we were playing badminton. And, and we were playing badminton I held up the birdie and I said, what's the Czech word for, for birdie? And they said, well, that's called the little thing that you hit over the net. <laughs> There's no word at that time for birdie. So it was like you would say, could you please pass me the little thing that you hit over the net? Okay, and so that, that's something that happens within translation all the time. And there's also, you know, like, like we say, we, you know, we, we feel it in our heart. In other cultures, it could be in your stomach and those kinds of things. Now, we understand the original text of our New Testament it was in Greek. Jesus spoke Aramaic. That was the, the, uh, the language that was the everyday language. So a lot of his speaking was in Aramaic or Greek, but he also spoke Hebrew. But a lot of the, the, the text that we have is already the authors taking the Aramaic and turning it into Greek. Now, what happens is hermeneutics is the art and science of uh, studying the Bible. Okay? so hermeneutics, art and science of studying the Bible. Within the art and science of studying the Bible, there's this one category that's called textual criticism, okay? And and what that means is there's all these people who looked at the text critically, okay? So, within textual criticism, people who are looking at the text critically, there's also people who look at external evidence and internal evidence as for why words should be used in Scripture, okay? Okay? Is this fascinating for you, or is it like, you know, probably 25% of you are like, this is really cool, and 75% are like, could you put the movie back on? Okay, so, um, (laughs) and on any given day, I could go one way or the other. But, okay, so, but this is important. See, this is so important because the world does not believe that Scripture can be trusted. The world does not believe that the Bible is absolutely true. True. And so things like this can throw us off, and it's important for us to understand these things. And so within textual criticism, there's these, these men who, and women who look at the original manuscripts that we have because just like that wasn't a live recording of, of what happened, we don't have any of the actual original texts. Now that doesn't undo us because the texts we have are very old, and when we compare them against each other, there are no... Incons- there are no um, Yeah, thank you. Isn't that amazing? But there are texts where it's like, okay, this manuscript or this codex says this, and this one says this, and they're both trusted. How do we determine which word to put into the text? Now, as it relates to this particular verse, there are some very trusted manuscripts, codexes, that show the word indignant. There are others that show filled with compassion, so how do we determine which one to use? For many translations, they determined that filled with compassion would be the way to go. For the NIV, 2011 and a couple of others, they looked at internal evidence. The others were looking at external evidence. So they looked at how it was used in other places outside of Scripture or other Gospels. But the NIV took a look at how, how are these words being used within the Gospel itself? the internal evidence. How are these words being used within the gospel of Mark? And when you follow Jesus in Mark, you follow a Jesus that may be something a little different than what we're used to. The picture up there that, that we saw where he seemed to be indignant. you remember, perhaps, when Jesus is indignant with people, he gets indignant with them because they misunderstand Or misrepresent God. When people misunderstand or misrepresent God, He gets upset with them. Oh, sorry. And so, you'll remember the leper approached Jesus, and what did He say? Chapter 1, verse 40. Thank you. All right. Isn't that great interaction? If you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus, filled with compassion, reached out and said, I'm willing, and touch the man. Absolutely. And Jesus was indignant. He reached out and touched the man and said, I am willing. See, for the, for the text, and as we look in Mark, we will see that Jesus comes to these places where he's indignant because he's misunderstood and misrepresented. He obviously demonstrated compassion to the leper. He touched a leper who was unclean. But he was indignant with him thinking that he wouldn't be willing to heal him. Now both are true. So I love what Jesus says to the to the uh, teachers of the law. Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said, why are you thinking these things? See, that's an incredibly important question. Why are you thinking these things? Now, when I used the word indignant last week, a lot of people came up and said, why did you say indignant? I said, I didn't say indignant. I read indignant. Right? You follow the difference? And so what it does is it allows us to see Jesus for who he is. And if it unsettles us, the question has to be, why are we thinking those things? That's a great question, isn't it? It reminds me of the question that, that God came to Adam and said, Adam, where are you? Elijah, what are you doing here? Why are you thinking these things? Have you ever gotten yourself down a path where you just keep thinking negative stuff? You're just looking at something, and all you can see is the bad in it, and you're just focused on it, and, you, and somebody comes up to you and says, why are you thinking that? And you're like, ooh, Reset. And it causes you to stop and consider. But Jesus goes on, and and he's going to show us that the visible truth reveals the invisible reality. Because there's no more meaningful healing than that healing which comes with reconciliation. So Jesus says to them, which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or take up your mat and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. This is so significant. It's the first time we're going to see Jesus use this title, Son of Man. And you might be wondering, why is that our, 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 our theme for the, for the Gospel of Mark? The Son of Man focused on his mission. Jesus takes this title, Son of Man, and uses it for himself 81 times in the Gospels. And as he uses it, it allows him to define who he is. If he would have come using the title Messiah, that would have come with all sorts of of understanding of what that meant. The Messiah was a political figure. He was one who would come and release the the, the captives from Rome. He was one who would come and be a a political figure. But the Son of Man was, was basically a term that was waiting to be filled with meaning. And Jesus would spend his life mission on earth filling that title with meaning. But as he used it, the first thing, what this means, Son of Man, really literally means, is human. So what Jesus is saying is the human has the authority to forgive sins. That's what their ears would have have heard is Jesus saying the human has authority and you can understand why they're confused here. See, Jesus on earth is unfolding this redemptive plan of God. And as his life goes on, he's going to fill this title, Son of Man, with meaning, which for us, looking back, allows us to sing all the songs we sang today about forgiveness. But for them, looking into this, it was this mystery. So the son of man would have meant literally human. But as Jesus goes through his life, and I challenge you to take a look at that son of man throughout Scripture and find out how how Jesus puts meaning into it. In Mark chapter 14, for example, at the end of his life, in verses uh, 61 62, Jesus gave no answer, and the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. All right, now this is really significant, and I know I'm a little over. Just give me a couple more minutes because this is so important in understanding the whole of this gospel. You will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds. See, by the end of Jesus' life, he's able to reveal to them that who he is is the person that Daniel saw in his vision in Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel chapter 7, he's talking about the beasts and, and all the things that he sees coming and, and all of the, the beasts, the four beasts, and all of a sudden in chapter 7, verse 13, he says, in my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. Did you hear what Jesus said in 14? And here it is here. He approached the Ancient of Days, the Father, and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All the nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Okay, this is exciting for all of you who are, who are still with me here. Okay, when Jesus uses this title, Son of Man, he now has a blank slate with which to expose the truth of who he is. And it starts by him laying hands on a man who was paralyzed and saying, your sins are forgiven. And it starts by him telling the people who were in the room, I want you to understand that the son of man, a human, fully God, fully man, has been given the authority by God the Father to forgive sins. Now this is huge because, listen, apart from Jesus being fully God and fully man, he cannot offer forgiveness of sins. And we are left with a weight of condemnation. We are left with a weight of guilt. We are left with a weight of shame. But because Jesus has come and because he is able to say, He is the son of God. He is the son of man. He he has been given authority to bring forgiveness. Boy, that's a lot. But the bottom line is this. Have you experienced the forgiveness of Jesus? You know what it's like to be paralyzed in your sin, right? You know what it's like to hear the voice of condemnation. You know what it's like to feel that weight in your life. Have you been able to move into and accept the forgiveness of Jesus? Well, it's my prayer you have. It's my prayer that you've come to a point in your life where you realize that your sin has earned the wrath of God. Right, Michael? And you absolutely deserve to be separated from him. It's what you've earned but Jesus came and died for you. And I know that you've come to a place in your life where you've turned to God and you said, God, I'm so sorry. Please forgive the things that I've done. I, I ask that you'd forgive me. And I turn, I repent, and I want to follow you. I want to know you. And in that moment, right? Weight lifted. So many of you, others, I know your testimony. I know that you've been set free. Let's live free. Let's live with this weight lifted off of us instead of constantly putting it on us. If you've never experienced that, please come up and talk to me afterwards. I would love to share with you the unbelievable truth of what it could be like to leave without that weight on you, to experience the forgiveness of Jesus because he wants you to know that you've been forgiven. Oh, Lord, God, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for the truth of that passage. Thank you for the truth that you have come into the world to forgive us. And if anyone here doesn't know that, Lord, I pray that you'd move in their hearts right now. And for those of us who do, help us get excited about helping others know. Because to know you, Christ, is to know forgiveness. And if I don't know forgiveness, then I don't know you, Christ. So help us know you. I pray this in your name. Amen.